had to be you. Is that men and women can't be friends because the sex part always gets in the way. I'm in love with Could you. make me be true. Snap out of it. Could make me be true. The magnificence that comes out of your eyes and your voice and the way you stand there and the way you walk. You're lit from within, Tracy. It had to be you, wonderful you. It had to be you. Hello, romantics. Welcome to It Pod to Be You, the Talk Film Society podcast that's all about falling in love on the big screen. I'm your host, Manish Mather, and we are continuing the Queer Romance miniseries on the podcast. Uh, I am really excited to introduce uh, my next guest, uh, Sal in the Bad Plan from Twitter herself. Sal, hello. Welcome. Welcome back, actually. Yeah, so excited to be back. I've been I've been hoping and angling for <laughs> meanwhile. Oh my god, you you know you always have an open invite here. Anytime you want to talk, just send a message and love to have you. But you know, I'm excited because you uh picked a film that is very near and dear to my heart as well. Um and uh it's uh, It was so much fun to revisit it. I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, would you like to introduce a film for us today? Yeah, so this is Pedro Almodovar's Bad Education, um, which is not the version with Hugh Jackman. <laughs> you know, um, which- Funnily enough, that's the that's the one that comes up when you like Google it or look it up. Um, but this is uh, the Pedro Almodovar version. It's also um, in the Spanish title is uh, La Mala Educación. Uh, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, Manish, you can correct me if uh, I'm wrong. No, that sounds um, yeah, I think that sounds right to me. Yeah, so um, this is from 2004, a great year uh, for film. One of Manisha's favorite uh, romantic films is from this year, right? Dear Zara. Yeah. So, yeah, great film. Um, this one is very different from Dear Zara. This one's, <laughs> this one's um, I don't know. I would say it's a queer romantic noir um in the style of Almodovar. So if you've watched um other Al- Almodovar films, um it's not going to be something um that's entirely alien to you, but in some ways um it might be it's 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 even more provocative. Like it takes a lot of the themes um that uh, he's been preoccupied with um and revisits them, which is something Almodovar does again and again, right? He has mm-hmm. these notes, he has these notes and he hits them again and again and again. He's a very self-referential filmmaker, and that's something you see here. Um, it's uh, this film is like a Matryoshka doll of self-referentialism, um, but uh, there is kind of like a there is a bite to this film that feels especially um, potent even for Almodovar, who makes um, uh, who's who even in uh, in the uh, autumn of his career uh, remains a filmmaker who makes films with a lot of uh, vigor and bite. So yeah, I mean, uh, it's a it's a great film. I encourage everyone to watch it. I hope we can convince people to go watch it after this podcast episode. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I really, uh, yeah, I mean, I agree. I hope people watch this movie. Uh, it was, um, it was on HBO Max for a while, but uh, sadly has been taken off. But, um, uh, you know, it's, uh, this movie is really special, uh, you know, even among Almodovar's movie, because I feel like this one feels just like so formally audacious. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's the, the way the movie is structured, it's like you have, um, like it, it starts in a really interesting way where it's like you have you know the 1980s part of the movie and then it flashbacks to or it actually goes into the story within a story and then within that story within the story goes into a flashback and it, you know like you say it's like that like nesting doll kind of thing where you don't really quite know where the movie is going you don't really you don't really quite know like um exactly like how far back it's going to go and kind of how all these pieces fit together. And then as the movie reveals itself, it's um, really quite uh, heartbreaking. And uh, yeah, I mean, this movie's just so, it's, I mean, it's so great because of the way that Almodovar kind of brings in all these different genres like noir and erotic thriller and romance and, um, you know, a childhood abuse story and all this stuff. And, and yet it never feels overstuffed. It never feels too, um, like unwieldy. It feels very, like he's very confident. And, you know, this is such a fascinating section of his career. And I'd love to talk to you about that as well, because, you know, I like to think of the, you know, all about my mother through, you know, I guess I would say skin I live in. Some people might say Volver this phase of his career it's like you know hit after hit after hit you know and it's um it's when he becomes i think i I call it his like prestige era because it's when like these movies just have this like grandiosity to them um and uh and yet they keep their you know idiosyncratic structures and their kind of crazy characters and and twists and, and, you know, sexuality and stuff like that. But um, do you remember the first time you saw this movie? Yeah, I think I was in either high school or like early parts of college. Um, and I think I'd I'd seen Itu Mama Tambien and had fallen in love with uh, Gil Garcia Bernal. Um, right. You know, um, I was like, I need to see him and everything, you know. Um and uh, I I was also like, you know, Almodovar was this filmmaker I'd just gotten into. I think I'd watched uh, Volver um, in high school, um, just sort of casually one afternoon. It was like playing on TV or something. And I was like, this, this, this is, this is, this is cinema, you know, this yeah. is what should be. You know, it's like, it's like the first time I watched a film by Cirque or the first time I watched Devdas in the theater. Um, you know, where like your mind is kind of, you know, the, the sinuses of your mind are kind of like blown open. Yeah. Um, it's it's this uh it's this perspective that uh, really kind of um uses cinema to um advance a completely audacious, a completely singular um idiosyncratic point of view. Uh it 
it you know how they talk about like um, you know with cooking like the snout to tail kind of cooking mm-hmm. um you know i think like with almodovar filmmaking is that you know he uses everything you know um and watching um watching um volver was that and then uh coming to bad education especially at that time being young and sort of coming into uh, my queer identity you know coming into my transness um watching it was just like um it was it was such an experience you know it was this uh, it was this unsettling disturbing exciting experience like i will i will never forget it i will never forget watching it for the first time i don't think i fully understood everything like i didn't have all the context i didn't know about like franco era politics you know um i didn't know about like the history of spain um i didn't fully understand like you know um all the contextual stuff like you know like how um like the context of queerness um changed or was changing in spain or had changed in the 70s and 80s and all of those things i think despite all of the that i was like i'm watching something that's going to change my perspective on life on cinema and on myself forever yeah i mean i i mean you know you and i have very similar tastes especially when it comes to this kind of movie um because my you know my experience with with i think if my first almodor movie was probably talk to her i think you watched that in spanish class in high school and i did not really understand it and like this was in 2000 oh gosh i mean it must have been 2005 so like dvds were still like you know, a little, not that widespread. And so my school didn't have one. So we watched it off some like VHS. I don't think it had subtitles. So part of the assignment was that we'd have to like listen to it and then try to understand what was happening. But um, I mean, these were like 16 year olds in, you know, a small town Catholic school in Maryland. So like we weren't the most worldly group. So it was a very awkward experience, but there was something I was so taken with talk to her on some like primal level um, that I watched Volver um, and uh, that movie, I mean, I just fell in love with that. I mean, like I, Volver is probably a movie that I've seen the most, maybe rivaled now by All About My Mother and Bad Education, but um, these movies just like speak to me on that level. And I think Bad Education, like I, it's very similar to you, like, I don't think I really understood it. Um, definitely didn't get all the context. And um, I think that it, you know, I mean, I watched it as like a closeted horny teenager, right? So like a lot of it was just like, wow, what am I seeing? Like, can movies do this? Like, um, but um, I think over the years, I really appreciated how much uh how much it is a very political film and how much its eroticism is part of its politics uh part of its like political radicalness um and uh how much it like you know i mean again like i came back to this like structure that is so twisty and so like you know um it's so uh it really bucks all the trends of like conventional storytelling and like kind of conventional three act structure. And, uh, 
and yet it's so tightly constructed and um it's actually like to me a very angry movie um in a way that i'm realizing all motivars movies are pretty angry mm-hmm. and they are kind of really railing against this you know dictatorship era that he grew up in um <laughs> excuse me and i noticed especially I mean, like i think parallel mothers really opened my eyes to that mm-hmm. um because that movie is very overtly political in a way that i'm not i wasn't I'm not quite used to with him, but um, yeah, no, I just like, and this, you know, watching this movie again, like having seen it a number of times, but watching it for this podcast, like I just really was just like wowed by it again. I mean, it, it's like, I get every time I watch it, I've become even more enraptured by it. And it's, I think it's like a seminal movie for Almodovar. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just quite a, it, it's a really intense experience, but I, I think one that is um, just quite captivating. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's also kind of a return to, um, you know, like I think Love Desire is one of my favorite, other mm-hmm. favorite Almodovar films. And this one definitely, both of those films feel of a piece with each other. You know, they feel, they feel like companion pieces. Yeah. Um, you know, so um, I I think of both those films, um, you know, um, side by side. Oftentimes, um, even though um, Love Desire is probably more modestly scaled in certain ways, yeah. Um, but but they but they they have similar preoccupations in a lot of ways. Obsession is one, you know. Um, you know, a queer artist, a gay artist. Um, is another uh, this like uh, Tom Ripley-esque figure uh, is another like this kind of beautiful, um, beautiful, dangerous uh, boy, right? Like that's that sort of um, that sort of a central figure in both of them. Uh, and uh, I think like now looking back at uh, bad education, um, I also understand why I was so enthralled of it. Like other, um, other than you know, of course, like the queerness of it, like the unabashed, um, erotic, um, uncensored, uh, disturbing, celebratory queerness, transness of it. I think the other thing is it's interested. Um, and draws from interested in and draws from a lot of the same artistic uh, influences that I am very passionate about. Uh, you know the sort of uh, um, Circean kind of melodramas. Um, you know uh, Tom Ripley. I've already talked about Pink Soleil. You know um, um, uh, Purple Noon. Um, you know Patricia Highsmith's uh, uh, Tom Ripley. Like I think. Um, uh, the character that Gil Garcia uh, Bernal plays is very much based off of that, or, you know, definitely draws from that figure, right? This amoral, unknowable uh, character, you know, uh, who's uh, who has these aims and ambitions and will go to a fairly... Um, incredible lengths to achieve them and uh, Antonio Banderas played um, a similar character in The Law of Desire of course with him it was it was love right it was passion it was obsession um, and here it's like this he he wants to become famous he wants to become an actor he has this artistic uh, kind of uh, obsession this picture for himself this path for himself that he's mm-hmm. uh, 
vision, right? Um, and um, and all of that is um, all of that is um, kind of figured through these influences, these ideas um, that um, that uh, I I myself have been formed by. So uh, there was no way that I was not going to love this movie, even before I was fully aware of those influences on Almodovar and on Bad Education. Like um, the two characters, like the love, the, there's this love story of these two young boys, right? Um, that we encounter at first, um, though we don't realize it as a movie within a movie, we only realize later in the film that what we watched in the first half was a film that... Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, um, you know, the filmmaker was shooting. That it was footage from the film, um, uh, and uh, but there, these two little boys are like actress sexuals. Are <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, both that they're they're obsessed uh, with this Spanish actress, uh, uh, Sarah Montiel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that to me, like, you know, even then, you know, I was, I had my own obsessions, Ashwarya Rai and, um, you know, Grace Kelly and uh, Penelope Cruz and all of these women that had been um, major, major influences on me um, in ways that I didn't realize, you know, of course, at that time, you know, um, not even fully reckoning with my tra- trans identity. So I was I wasn't even fully aware of the ways in which, you know, I was idolizing these women and I was internalizing um the, the ways in which they existed on celluloid, the ways in which they existed on the silver screen. And uh, you know, this kid had a similar relationship to what he was seeing, even though um, you know, they couldn't necessarily, she couldn't necessarily verbalize it, right? Um and I couldn't verbalize what I was seeing, but I, I was, I was encountering this kindred spirit, right? So, um, yeah, I think there's so much this film. This film we've already talked about how it has that nesting doll structure, but it's also like this. Uh, it's a sunny and there's layer after layer, um, and you have to go back to the layers before, like they don't become irrelevant um, to to really kind of savor the film. Um, but 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 it's so heady, and you're not you're not necessarily trying to. It's it's not productive to try and keep track of all the pieces. It's not it's not it's not a it's not a puzzle necessarily. Right, right. That's not how it functions. You really have to go with it. You really have to go with the emotion. Um, it's not uh, Almodovar is not trying to uh, present this intellectual conundrum. He really wants you to feel, even though the structure of the film is quite intricate, and uh, the themes of the film uh, uh, range from the political to the cerebral, right? So, uh, but despite all of that, um, the heart of the film, uh, and I say heart, uh, you know, intentionally, uh, is one that's that's very... Um, that's very emotional. That's very passionate. You know, the film opens with this one story about this uh, motorcyclist uh, who's driving across this like frozen landscape. I, I, I if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. he's dead, right? He's dead, and uh, this uh, this patrolman is pursuing him and is irate because he's not heeding to the calls of the patrolman. And then, you know, um, eventually he realizes that this person is trying to get to someone. But he's been dead all along. Um, 
And then there's the other story about the woman who throws herself um, into this uh, pond of uh, crocodiles at the zoo and she clings to the crocodile while it devours her, you know. And um, that's it's it's commentary on, you know, obsession, artistic obsession, sexual obsession, amorous obsession, all of those things. And it's it's pretty explicit. These stories aren't subtle. Um, but at the same time, Almodovar's touch is light. Um, so to have, to make filmmaking that emphatic, to make it that explicitly emotional and passionate, um, but to keep it that light of touch is such a feat of artistry to me, you know. And then to also make it so funny, like yeah. a laugh out loud funny film, you know. Um, when we first get introduced to Zahra, right, like this, uh, um, the uh, the representation of the trans character within the film, um, she is singing this song. Uh, she's been introduced by her friend, Paco, uh, who's kind of this comic figure, who's done this kind of routine that's not, that's been kind of received very lukewarmly by the audience. The routine looks a little silly. And, um, you know, um, she presents, uh, uh, Paco presents uh, Zara. Zara does this kind of Sarah Montiel routine. Um, and it's very, you know, she's a femme fatale. She's, uh, she's sexy. She's glamorous. Um which are not things that like um, uh, representations of like depictions of trans women were allowed to be necessarily in Hollywood cinema. They were the butt of the joke. Think of like Ace Ventura, think of um, a lot of other films. Um, and similarly in Bollywood, right? They were, they were the punchline. But Zara is this, she's a femme fatale. She's presented with the same kind of elegance that, you know, a Barbara Stanwyck was, um, you know, in say double indemnity, um, uh, with the same kind of you know potency, uh, with the same kind of uh, sexual magnetism, and then of course you know she she picks up a trick, and you know she's robbing him, and it's really funny, and he can't get it up, and all of that business is you know it's slapstick, right? right. Like uh, you know I'm giving you head, you know, you know you better you better get it up, right? Pay attention, you can't fall asleep. And then it like crosses over into this moment of epiphany and pathos when um, she realizes it's her childhood love. And she pens this letter to him that's emotional and that touches upon this, the, these, um, these three obsessions she has. Uh, one is um, this, uh, this uh, literary kind of aspiration she has. Uh, the second is her love for her, you know, childhood crush. And the third is revenge on, you know, Padre Manolo. Uh, and we get all of that in this concise, funny, sexy, disturbing little hotel room scene. That is incredible filmmaking, you know. It's, it's this expansive bit of storytelling within, um, within this one little motel room. Like, like how, how does one do that, right? That's right. writing, that's incredible direction. It's incredible acting on the part of, uh, uh, you know, uh, Gail Garcia Bernal. It's incredible acting on the part of the actor who plays Paco. You know, it's there's that funny business on the door, you know, with both of them on the two sides of the door. Uh, it's great stuff, you know, and that really sets us, that really sets the tone for the rest of the film. It's going to be funny. It's going to be sexy. It's going to be disturbing. Um, it's going to keep us on the toe, keep us on our toes with the revelations, right? Um, so, yeah, I... 
I just fell in love with the movie right off the bat. Yeah, um, I, I that first sequence with Zahara, I mean, that entire, all of that is so powerful because exactly as you're saying, as it shifts into these different genres. And that's one of my favorite things that Almodovar does is how definitely he can switch genres on you. And, you know, it doesn't feel jarring. It doesn't feel like, you know, a tonal shift. It just feels very natural because these characters are often, um, it feels like their lives are changing genres at all times. And it's, it's, it's a it's a neat little magic trick that he pulls off and does really well. I mean, all of his best movies, like Volver and All About, all About My Mother and Talk to Her and, you know, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. I mean, all these movies, like, he's just able to definitely, you know, switch up kind of what we're watching in a way that doesn't really take call to attention to it. It just feels like a natural progression. And, um, you know, I, I think that the... the the love story in this movie is so powerful because there is such a um yeah like a pathos to it and there's a um you know it's I'm, I'm normally not a fan of like you know kids who are in love and then you know as adults they you know you know and I'm not usually a fan of like movies that start off with like, oh, here's a romance between two children that, you know, they are star-crossed from that. But I think Almodovar does a really, you know, the way he plays out this initial young romance is it's really one of like self-discovery and, you know, as you were saying earlier, sort of like seeing something projected on the screen and not quite knowing how to interpret that and you know, the intimacy that they share is more so just born from, like, experiencing something they don't quite understand how to experience. And um, I and I find that to be more... I find that to be really compelling and, and really interesting and how, you know, I, I think one of my kind of interesting points of this movie is, you know, the way that Enrique is continually holding, you know, Angel slash Juan in, um, you know, in kind of this like suspicious gaze of like, I don't quite think you are, you know, my Ignacio and I don't believe it. Um, and it's, it's partially, it's like, you're not quite right for this role, this movie that I'm making, but also like, I just don't have that. I don't see that, that intimacy, that connection to you. And I don't feel that connection to you the way that I felt as, you know, when we were kids. And uh, it's, I don't know, I find that to be really compelling and kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's romantic in its own way because it's like, you know, we had something that I'm just not quite seeing in you. So I, I, I don't actually believe that you're, you are who you say you are. Um, and, you know, you were saying earlier about um, Angel as this, you know, um, Ripley-type character. That, to me, really stood out in this rewatch, actually, because, um, you know, I, you know, I, I kind of noticed, like, during these, like, sex scenes and during these, like, 
moments of just like a lot of calculation on Gael Garcia Bernal's part of just like, how can I, you know, how can I make him believe me? <laughs> um, and uh, just like, what am I willing to do? And um, yeah, it's just such a like, I, I think the way that the char- these character dynamics are play out are just so like, um, it's fascinating to me because I think there's a lot of like, um, attraction, repulsion, seduction, like, um, suspicion, all these things that, you know, really kind of ramp up this feeling of like intense, like erotic mystery, erotic thriller kind of thing. Um, and I think it all stems from the fact that like, you know, uh, Enrique and, um, Enrique and, and Ignacio just like had this connection when they were kids and now, you know, their whole lives are now changing because the connection kind of comes back in a roundabout way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's interesting that um, like, it's interesting that the film, I don't know the film's most um, enduring depiction of love um is that of the, the the villain of the piece? Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, the, the, I'm, the... I'm glad you brought this up because I wanted to kind of transition towards this uh, this part of the movie, which I think is like the most daring and yet the most like hard to kind of unwrap. Yeah, it's a uh, it's it's a it's a tricky. Um, it's a it's a tricky thing to talk about, right? Because um, it um, you have this thing where you know you have uh, Father Manolo, and you know we see uh, we first see him as uh, although again we don't realize it as um, uh, a character played by an actor in footage mm-hmm. shot by Enrique, um, and then we see the real figure who's kind of been. Um, shattered by um, his love for this uh, child, you know, he's this Humbert uh, Humbert figure, you know, he's uh, someone who did something despicable and unspeakable and just is, you know, revolting as a person, right? But he's also presented, he's got these like long close-ups, right, even in the film, within the film, the way Enrique shoots him is that he he can't bear um the 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 weight the the scope of his uh, passion for this child and to us it's repulsive right that he's mm-hmm. obsessed with this child um but at the same time uh, the film the film is not necessarily particularly invested in like indicting him like the mm-hmm. film acknowledges that this is this is not a good person, right? Um, and he meets, you know, he gets his just desserts in the end and so on, um, which is also like really funny, like the little coda at the end, right? Like it's like, um, it's like yes. that, it's some real Ripley-esque shit, you know? Um, right. But, um, you know, so, but like you get this kind of like um, perversely ennobling filmmaking, around uh, father 
Manolo in the film within the film and then we see him he's this like tragic looking figure when he shows up as um, Manuel Berenger um, you know um, on the set on the last day of shooting um, of the film of the visit you know of the shooting of the visit um, you know and Enrique meets him and uh, and then you know we get his side of the story we see that he uh, met um, you know um uh zahra um you know uh, as a grown up and uh, you know there that also is this strange thing because um we they they sort of have this amicable relationship they play games together like she's she's like technically quote unquote blackmailing him but you know they kind of become this trio right like right. kind of sociable they're like hanging out she's like showing him stuff like his, you know she's like i'm 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 a writer this is the stuff i'm doing and she's like she's like kind of like she's not like oh you know i can't talk to you you know i can't see your face you know um it's more like this 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 is this you know this is this dude we had this past i'm blackmailing you but also like you're in my house and we're hanging out i guess you know <laughs> and um and that also is this like very interesting choice i think um almodovar has this understanding of uh, life not being um you know clear cut you know it's not uh, it's not the kind of stone you find in a jeweler's shop like you know presented in a display case right um, it's 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 more like a diamond in the rough right it's it's got uh, like the facets are not all clearly presented to you you know with this kind of uh, lapidary precision um there it's everything's mixed up like the good the bad the ugly um and it's all this kind of tangle that from the outside looks oftentimes completely baffling and revolting but when you're living it it's it's just life um and that to me you know um is something disturbing but when you're watching the movie you you go along with it in a way even as you kind of being jolted and that's something that almodovar does very well uh he does it in time me up time me down as well because you have this uh, you know stockholm syndrome relationship right. you have like abuse and all of that but it's also like romantic like the ending is very kind of you know kayamat se kayamat we're like going off together you know right. um and he does that right he's always doing that he's juxtaposing like this kind of sweeping romance on top of like like the quotidian business of living on top of these shocking things like abuse um and murder and disease and all of these things right um so that really stayed with me um because as a young person um you don't life is a little more black and white you're like bad things should be punished um good people should be rewarded um but as you get older you you also see that that's not how things end up happening uh, for you uh for the people uh, you love for the people who wrong you um and all of that right um mm -hmm. it's not as simple as a cancellation 
you know um even if oftentimes we want it to be oftentimes it would be great if it if it were like that uh but it isn't and almodovar has such keen understanding of it um and really you you see that uh nowhere in his filmography is that as you know kind of like vividly apparent as it is in bad education the the kind of uh, perverse humor of living um because it's a film about pedophilia it's a film about abuse it's a film about um the the abuses perpetuated by the catholic church right um enrique changes the ending of the visit because he's like i want to show that the catholic church is this giant um monster of an organization that can get away with anything it's not going to let you, it's not going to let zara you know get away you know it's not going to let her win um and that's that's like a critique of the church that he just has in there you know amongst the many other things that he's preoccupied with in the film um but at the same time we see uh, this man who's left the church and we get these moments where the film is approaching a kind of sympathy for his brokenness but then also within that is fully cognizant of his monstrousness um and it's something that stayed with me you know um um the the film of course has these noir um influences that that are very very you know clear like almodovar is not trying to hide them you have that like that sh- that unforgettable shot of um uh, gil garcia bernal diving over um um uh, fele martinez's uh, fele martinez into the pool right with with mm-hmm. the translucent briefs and it's this beautiful shot and it brings to mind um lana turner in the white kind of play suit in the postman always rings twice which is another film about two people who desire each other who have um you know uh, these ulterior motives that they don't want to um disclose to each other who don't quite trust each other but who also have a need for each other right um and then you you also think of something like sharon stone you know kind of crossing and uncrossing her legs in basic instinct another kind of like um you know um maybe sociopathic artist figure in an erotic thriller um but then um someone else i think of when i think of i've already talked about humbert humbert but even in terms of structure even in terms of artistic interests and preoccupations i think of nabokov a lot when i think of um almodovar as a filmmaker as an artist and when i think of bad education in particular not just because um a child abuse and pedophilia are themes in the film and subjects in the film but but structurally the films are kind of um, the films kind of nesting doll structure the films kind of refusal to adhere to those clean lines of judgment um um the films interest in uh, figures who are um who a shuttle back and forth between the margins of society and its center um all of those things feel very nabokovian to me which is interesting because we're talking about this like very quintessentially um spanish artist and then we have this you know kind of fresh russian american artist right uh, who wrote about that who wrote about those milieus uh, but yeah i've always i've always connected the two in my head yeah um 
Well, first of all, you mentioned uh, Time Me Up, Time Me Down, which uh, I did an episode on about two years ago in June 2021 with a friend of the show, Ben Miller. So I encourage everyone to listen to that. Um, Second of all, you know, I I, I feel like I always expect this movie to turn into more of like a spotlight type movie about like exposing the church. and, um, And I appreciate that it doesn't become that and that it like, becomes this like more like subtle critique and um and that it has this like as you're saying this like trio of characters um who figure out some way to like live and even though with all the abuse and and pedophilia and you know one thing that i appreciate about Amodovar is how he can you know, weave these very complicated, disturbing, jarring themes in a way that doesn't feel exploitative, doesn't feel preachy, doesn't feel um, surface level, um, and yet does it also in a way that is entertaining and surprising and unique. So, um, and, uh, you know, I really like the film references that you mentioned, especially... um, Think about someone like, you know, Sharon Stone in Basic Instinct, uh, a character that you're always sort of questioning and kind of trying to understand, um, which is how, you know, I feel about uh, Juan um, and slash Angel. It's, <laughs> I love this movie, but it's like hard to figure out like, you know, what to call characters when you're talking about them because they shift identities so much, which is, I think, a benefit to the film, but makes podcasting about it very difficult. Um, but um, I, but I, I love this idea of like shifting identities and like shifting, um, you know, shifting people's perspective of you, whether they can be attracted to you or repulsed by you or want revenge from you or can live in some like, you know, weird, harmonious way with you. Um, and um, uh, again, I, I find this, you know, this, like many of our water movies, this movie feels like a movie about identity and how, you know, we kind of play up different parts of our identity to the people that we're around to, depending on what we need or want from them. But also, um, you know, this movie feels very much like, um there's a lot of homoerotic male gaze to it, a lot of, you know, the trans gaze to it. And I find that to be so um, fascinating because it's like we don't really see a lot of noirish thriller romance movies that have these very particular sets of identities and particular gazes. And I think that the way that Almodovar takes all of his references and presents us in this very uniquely queer, uniquely Almodovar, uniquely European <laughs> lens um, is just like nothing short of genius. And I think this movie is like the pinnacle of of that kind of achievement. Um, and, uh, you know, taking a movie like Law of Desire as well as Paid and Glory, I think he mentioned, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like he mentioned those three movies as like a little trilogy or he considered them a kind of a trilogy, uh, Law of Desire, um, Bad Education and Pain and Glory. Um, I think it's like having to do with like Catholicism and homosexuality and 
you know, youth versus um, adulthood. Mm-hmm. But it means, I mean, I was like, look, Moldovar, if you, anytime you want to talk about your own career, I'm here to listen. We'll believe everything you say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely, right? Um, all three films are also about filmmakers, mm-hmm. um, you know, gay filmmakers. Um, and we, um, in, in um, all of the three, we see their work in some way. In the first one, we see Carmen Maura doing, you know, the kind of monologue that she's working on. Um, and in um, Bain and Glory, we see, like, again, we see kind of like uh, footage from the film, like uh, presented as scenes in the film that we are watching. Yeah. And then the same thing in um, bad education and you mentioned you know of course like the identities the kind of world of identities in the film and one of the things that I've been asked about um, you know when I talk about I've always said that uh, bad education is one of my top five favorite movies whenever people ask me what are your top five movies um, and uh, bad education is one of them and a film that sits I think very comfortably next to uh, bad education vertigo is another one mm-hmm. um both films are very preoccupied with seeing and being seen, uh, doubles and, you know, all of those things, right? Like willful be- willfully being betrayed and um, all of those things. Um, but like one of the things that I am asked is, well, how do you feel about, you know, cis actors um, portraying trans women in these films? And it's mm-hmm. kind of much about, um, you know, uh, trans identity uh, in um, Love Desire, of course, Carmen Maura plays uh, the trans sister. And uh, in um, Bad Education, you know, we see um, this, uh, we see Gail Garcia Bernal play Zahra in the movie. And uh, we see uh, Francisco Boyer, I think, uh, play, um, you know, the grown up kind of version of Ignacio in like real life, like the flashbacks. Um, And both of them are, uh, you know, cis men. And it's like an interesting thing to think about, right? Like, I think as a young, as a young, you know, trans girl, I think uh, there was something kind of unsettling about it because it was like, you know, um, I hadn't had much exposure um, to trans culture at that point. Um, You know, there wasn't as much representation. We hadn't had things like pose and all of that, right? At that point. and I was like, you know, is this is this what uh, trans women look like? And there was a lot of like confusion, right? Uh, but at the same time, for me, uh, thinking of bad education and thinking of Almodovar in general, you know, and he's I think like the the most provocative and probably the most disturbing uh, representation of transness in his films is uh, the skin I live in, which which is a film even I can't necessarily metabolize. Um, <laughs> but I, it's it's there is um, you know he has so much affection for the trans community. He's had trans actors in his films, uh, like in High Heels. Um, but uh, I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't really stick in my crop <laughs> in bad education. And I don't know if I'm like, you know, if there's like an Almodovar bias there or if if the film itself is like uh, so concerned with um, deception um, as, uh, you know, as a theme, um, as a motif that uh, somehow that, you know, that kind of casting uh, or even miscasting um, works or um, 
is is kind of an interesting function of the film's interests. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think that's that's generally my answer to that question. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I, I appreciate you sharing all that um, because it's it's something that's on my mind as well. Because like you know, you know, I definitely have that on one of our bias as well, and it's hard for me. You know, as someone that I've seen all of his movies, I've you know read and watched countless interviews with him, um, and uh, you know I've seen his movies many times over. I've read and written about them, so it's you know hard for me not to like excuse away some things that others might find you know um, uncomfortable or you know insulting or, or offensive or what have you, um, but. You know, one of my least favorite hobbies is looking at the letterboxed uh, reviews for movies I love, but looking at like the lowest reviews and just like eye rolling at at some of them. It's really a horrible habit that I have. But um, you know, when I read the ones from Lodavar, they always just feel very you know jejune and surface level of like you know his this movie is canceled because you know such a reason and i'm like but you know a lot of what a motivar does is sort of point out you know this i think he points out that this reaction is possibly a form of you know um that this reaction i'm trying to think of like how to phrase this but it's like his movies, I think, operate, I think, on, on a level that can, you know, cr- critique our need for labels and clean-cut stories. And, you know, as you were saying earlier, like, good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. I think he's always sort of pointing out the, in some ways, like, heteronormativity of that kind of thinking of just, like, you know, we are all existing in as in and as contradictions of our own selves and identities and that, you know, we all have these more lurid, puerile um, parts of us and he just exposes that. Um, and, um, you know, that like, you know, his movies are about this sort of idea, like especially about education, but, um, you know, I think his movies are about like, as you're saying, like deception and identities and how, you know, all of our identities are, you know, mished, mashed together in, in such a way that to labels, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, 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 I just find it to be that he's, I think he's just operating on a different level and he's looking at culture in a, in a different way beyond sort of like what I find to be very like online discourse level talking or like level cultural criticism um, and that he's more interested in something a little deeper, something a little bit more complicated. Um, and that, you know, his, um, you know, I mean, I don't, you know, if, if someone were to come to me and say, well, he should still cast such and such actors to play such and such characters, I, you know, you know I, I can't deny that. You know, I mean, I definitely believe that, especially you know, trans actors should get more roles and in different kinds of movies doing all kinds of roles and just get more work and become more famous because I'm sure there are th- you know, hundreds upon thousands of talented ones out there. But um 
you know, and also we have to remember, like, this movie was made in 2004, it takes place in the 80s and the 60s, like, there's just a lot of, I think he's just operating on a different level, and I think he has more on his mind, and I think he's, you know, again, like, I think for me, like, his movies are about, like, identity as a mystery, and how we all have competing, contradictory facets to our identity, and that we're never just one thing, um, even someone that is nominally the villain of the story is still treated like some kind of human being um, and has its own, has his own complicated feelings and emotions and um, actions. Yeah, I think it's also interesting, right? I think you have to con- contextualize, as you said, you have to contextualize Almodovar. This, this is a man who was born in the 50- 40s, right? And yeah lived through Franco's reign and um, lived through, um, you know, specific um, eras of queer liberation in Europe and Spain. Um, And, you know, um, lived through the artistic underground of those eras. Um, It's not that he was isolated from, you know, the trans communities. Right. of 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 the artistic cultures of that time, he 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 definitely like you know his films are rich with those observations, are rich with that community. I think casting again, as you pointed out, is a tricky thing. I think um, I think if he if he if he were to make a film um, with trans characters in the future, um, I would love to see like a trans actress. Uh, play that character and again as I said like he's he's used trans actresses in his films before mm-hmm. so it's an interesting thing I think cr- like critique also should be forceful and you know uh, kind of uncensored uh, but I think kind of like um, kind of a wholesale rejection of his films uh, from like the queer canon or the canon at large is just uh, such a loss right yeah. <laughs> for all of us for me it would be <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I think, like, when you look back to his, you know, 80s work, like, Pepe Lucy Baum, Labyrinth of Passion, What Have I Done to Deserve This, and, and, um, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, like, these movies are, you know, capital Q queer, and I think he has earned, and they're anarchic, and they're crazy, and they are, you know, um, like he never lost his sort of anarchic filmmaking, but you know that set of movies from the eighties. I think even Matador, just just like completely wild pieces of movies that you know. I mean, Pepe Lucy Bomb like is barely a movie because it's so like it's like so radical that it has like no structure and like that's just like him and his friends having fun doing drugs and like living their lives and it's wonderful. Um, and um, but yeah, I just like. Um, yeah, I mean, I just really appreciate that there's a director out there that is making these movies that are so, you know, queer in their formal, in their, you know, um, queer in their, like, uh, formal, in their, uh, in their, how they're formalized. And, um, you know, they are just, like, not in, not interested in keeping us. A to B structure and that he's doing it on this scale with this kind of like mainstream appeal 
um, and attracting actors like uh, Garcia Bernal and Penelope Cruz and Antonio Banderas and Tilda Swinton and apparently now Ethan Hawke. So, um, and Pedro Pascal. So it's kind of, you know, it's, I think it's a net positive that he's out there. Um, I So, I you know, before we kind of finish up, I want to talk to you about sort of the filmmaking of this movie. We haven't really touched on it too much, but um, this movie was shot by Jose Luis Alcane. Um, Almodovar's, I think, most trusted cinematographer has worked with him on about eight, no, eight or nine, ten movies or so. Pretty much, uh, maybe even more than that, actually but has been sort of the main go-to cinematographer for Moldovar. Um, and uh, I just think this movie is so beautiful. And um, I'd love to hear if you have any like specific shots or moments of the film that really stand out to you in terms of its visual aesthetic. Oh, yeah, I think, I think for me, I think this and Pain and Glory might be the most kind of like formally um, yeah. beautiful films that Almodovar has done. Um, it, I mean, this one's just ravishing. I mean, I've already talked about that that one shot, which is just, um, you know, the, the swimming pool shot, which is just, God, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's stunning. It's like, I think, one of, one of the great kind of like, um, you know, um, erotic scenes um, of cinema. Um, and then and then you know you've got like that disturbing kind of thing where um little ignacio is singing moon river um by the by the river and i've always been curious about where those lyrics are from like you know they're like well, like what are those lyrics right because they're not they're not the moon river that we know from um breakfast at tiffany's right no they're like this kind of like you know, kind of strange, plaintive, folksy thing. But like, you know, the the way that whole like uh, school picnic is shot, you know, that kind of pastoral scene is just, oh God, I mean, it it really does feel like um, there's like this um, impressionistic quality. I know that's such a cliche thing to say to the light, to the way, to the way like natural light is used. Um, and then, you know, Almodovar is such a genius, I think, uh, in his films um, and his, you know, uh, directors of photography are such geniuses um, at using um, colors as a way to block scenes um, and you really see that here, right? Like, it's 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 something he it's something he does again and again throughout the film. And this film has an expansiveness. I mean, it's still very colorful. Um, it doesn't feel you know empty. There's still there's you know it it feels peopled. It feels populated. It feels rich. But there's also like an expansiveness and airiness to it. Like you can really sense the air in it um, that I really respond to. I I always think of that like uh, scene where they're going to see the Sarah Montiel film and uh, you have the poster, like, you know, that woman, the S. Mujer poster. <laughs> that always sticks with me. She's got like the bob and like the eyes and it's that very stylized kind of poster. Um, that's all like, you know, kind of, uh, I don't know, like what, I'd say it's very kind of like uh, uh, Tamara de Lempica-y kind of like uh, 
poster that's outside of the uh, the um, the the movie theater, and it's always struck with me like the the kind of um, the I you know symmetry feels like a very boring word in this context mm-hmm. and very anodyne you know, but uh, the composition of that is just God. I just I just want to kind of like hang it up in my house. <laughs> I just yeah, I respond to it so much. I yeah, just visually, I I respond to this film so much. I've talked about you know the the hotel room scene, another scene where like um, there's like light in the air, you know, right? Um, you know, there's uh, um the use of like um the use of um um that kind of like uh, non you know artificial lighting, you know, bulbs and things like that, um. The richness that that evokes, um, it's it's a rare thing. It's like such a singular thing. I think it's so specific to certain filmmakers. I think Wong Kar Wai does it in a different way. And then, you know, it's it's like cooler tones. And then Almodovar uses it in a different way. And this like kind of like very warm, um, almost like stiflingly maternal way at at times. But here this here it's like um it's um it's like there's an erotic warmth to it, and um, yeah, I just I just respond to the film's uh, like kind of um, formal beauty. Yeah, um, I, I definitely agree with everything you're saying. I, I think you know a couple of my favorite moments from the film. Um, yeah, the Moon River sequence is really chilling, uh, especially the way that you know a lot of our shoots. I guess what would we don't quite see it, but it's we're led to assume it's um, you know when uh, Father Manola essentially does abuse um, uh, Ignacio uh, as as a child, and it's really done in like, a really chilling way. It reminded me of another movie that came out uh, came out around the same time, a kind of similar topic, um, Mysterious Skin, you know, the Greg Araki film, and how that movie really shoots around its depictions of abuse and molestation and, and rape, but in a way that is almost scarier and more horrifying than, I guess, I guess to pin it outright would be quite horrifying, but kind of letting your audience imagine what's happening um, and how... Um, you know how uh you know the the how ignacio is kind of running and being chased you know out from and how he falls and uh you know even just the way that i mean there's such a i think it's like a, the famous part of the movie but like the way like on one of our shoots like the blood going down his face as if he's like being cracked into and I found it to be a really um, sad, but in some ways, an empathetic depiction of kind of what this moment has done to this poor child. Um, and I, so I just find that to be really just absolutely compelling and just beautifully subtle direction from someone who is usually very explicit um, and very, um, you know, putting it out, very much puts, some, puts it all out there. Um, I also really love this sort of sequence with um uh it's 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 like kind of towards the end of the film when uh Juan is like videotaping himself with um you know Father Manola at the, towards the end um 
and uh, you know, he keeps saying, you know, don't shoot my face, don't shoot my face, and it's like the shame and just being like, um, it's sort of in a way, like, if, in a way, kind of shows the hypocrisy of you know this character and how he wants to, you know wants to be able to be with these younger men and kind of have this, these sexual experiences, but, you know, doesn't want his face shown and wants to protect whatever semblance of his identity that he has. And, um, you know, it's really, and just the, and the, also just the way that, you know, young Juan is still like trying to figure out a way to kind of get what he wants. And he's very calculating and very, yeah, just, um, and it's just interesting and you know of course i love the ending uh the title cards and you know the way um hold of art zooms in on the word passion mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm like you know he loves to do that i feel like he's done that a few times and um but again it's like it's literally the theme of the film is kind of like plastered on the screen and yet it doesn't feel heavy-handed it feels quite a little bit like a joke, kind of, but just very much like this is we made with passions, we about passion, and all the ways in which you know La Passion is infecting everyone's lives and causing all this stuff to happen, and and how everyone is recovering from that. Um, but it's also like I think the ending title card is like uh, Enrique is still directing films with passion or about his passion and somewhat a victory for this character um, who gets to, you know, who gets to live out his own truth the way the other characters don't get to, or weren't able to for whatever reason. Um, So that was kind of, I mean, that's, it's, I think a really kind of somber, but somewhat ironic ending. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I I I agree with everything you've said. It's it's uh, a great ending, isn't it? Because yeah, uh, it's funny, it's chilling. You know, I I love that little detail about like he mainly acts on TV now. Or like, yeah. <laughs> that's just so great, you know. Like it's not like a real comeuppance because he, you know, he he he's still making a lot of money. He's famous and all of those things. But like there's there's such a there's such a like like just a little bit of uh, like sourness, like just that note, you know. It's it's so it's perfect. It really is. It really is. It, I I kind of love. Um... Yeah, I, I agree with you, but I, I kind of love this, like, like sort of like the last kind of piece of, you know, Zahara uh, is of this note that says, I think I have succeeded, and it's kind of left up to the audience what that note means and how to interpret that, and, you know, I, I always appreciate that a mode of art kind of leaves his characters with, sometimes it leaves them with a little mystery, um and that not everything gets to be resolved or explained or anything like that again quite quite beautiful um any kind of final thoughts on la mala educación almodovar anything you'd like to bring up before we finish up you know i i i think like my my final thought would be just a plaintive 
watch this film. It's funny that this film is like a very significant entry into Almodovar's uh, filmography, but people don't seem to have watched it. Um, I, I, I don't know why. It's it's a, it's a big film. It was very successful. It, it made a good deal of money. Um, and but like I, I you know when I tell people about it it's 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 an Almodovar that they haven't watched I don't know if it's because it it touches upon things like you know child sex abuse and uh, pedophilia I don't know if uh, you know it kind of gets lost between Volver and you know uh, kind of those other you know you talked about it's it's uh, it's in uh, Almodovar's golden period and there are these other films that were like Oscar nominated and things like that. I don't know, but like watch this film, you know, if uh, yeah. it, it is in the best possible way. Um, it is part of a tradition of, of films like um, Vertigo, as I've said, you know, the great noirs, the great erotic thrillers, all of those films. But it's also um, entirely, entirely a creature of its own making. Um, you know, it's it. I I I cannot recommend it enough. I I absolutely love this film. I hope I've been able to convey how passionate I am about. <laughs> no, absolutely. Your 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 passion is <laughs> quite um quite palpable. Uh, palpable. Um, I agree with you. I think it's a, I think this movie is quite underrated, despite being critically acclaimed and considered a masterpiece of his career. But I I think. I think it does get lost between all my mother um talk to her and Volver, which I think, you know, I are Oscar, of course, Oscar winning and Oscar nominated films and you know, major crossover hits. Um as in this movie is, you know, pardon my use of the word, but like very faggy, and I think that, that turns off a lot of people. Um but um, I, I really do hope people check it out, rent it, buy it, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful movie, holds up extremely well visually, thematically. And, you know, uh, you know, we didn't talk too much about his performance, but Gael Garcia Bernal's performance is like A++. Um, considering he's, you know, like I, I remember reading about how like he had to like convince Almodovar to let him do the movie and that he could, you know, act and speak like a Spanish speaker. Uh, from Spain, um, yeah. and you know, I I think you know I don't know I'm not from Spain, but I think he does an excellent job of his performance and being very multifaceted. Yeah. yeah, um, but yeah, I think it's one of the greatest performances I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. It, it it it's just amazing. It's spectacular. Um. Yeah, I, I love this film and I, I'm so grateful that you um, invited me on to your wonderful podcast. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you for being here. Thanks for choosing this film. It's always a pleasure when I get to talk about, you know, one of my top guys on this podcast. So very happy to talk about um, Almodovar with you. Um, Sal, thank you so much again. Please let listeners know where they can find you, if you're working on, on anything or anything you'd like to share. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. It's Sal and the Bad Pun. Um, and you'll find out why the bad pun. I'm just like very fond of bad wordplay. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter and I usually uh, keep folks updated about um, things I'm doing uh, on my Twitter, whether it's, um, you know, 
podcast appearances or uh, pieces that I'm writing and things like that. Uh, but yeah, find me on there. Um, thank you so much. Um, Sal has to be, I think, one of the best Twitter accounts that I follow. Um, always thoughtful criticism, great jokes, um, and just, you know, I think one of the destinations for movie talk on Twitter. So definitely follow her there. Um, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter at vertigate314. Um, also follow the podcast at it had to be you. Um, remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Um, we are continuing with um, the queer romance miniseries talking about, and you know what, another one of my guys, Ang Lee, we're talking about The Wedding Banquet um, with my dear friend uh, Alex, so I'm really excited about that. Sal, please come back anytime, just message me anytime you want to talk about movies and romance on the podcast, you're always welcome. And listeners, thanks for listening. Uh, watch Bad Education. Bye.